think it's mm. trust, trust and clarity. clarity. Absolutely. I, I think as soon as we publish or put something across social media the works against what the patients want obviously that would make us fail welcome to inside reproductive health the shop talk of the fertility field here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management patient relations and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field now here's the founder of fertility bridge and the host of inside reproductive health griffin jones Today, I have Sarah Marshall-Page and Tracy Bambro from IVF Babble on the show with me. IVF Babble has become one of the most popular media outlets for the infertility community, an online magazine for the infertility community. Based in London, UK, Tracy and Sarah have come into our field at, from both the patient side, but have also had a lot of experience with the clinic side coming to conferences like MRSI and ASRM where I met them originally, made fun of their terrible networking because they came all the way over from London to Chicago to network with each other. I think they've since done a better job. Uh, and because I find you both each so interesting, I would like to hear Sarah's introduction of Tracy and then vice versa. Sarah, let's start by having you introduce Tracy. Tracy is co-founder of IVF Babble and she is an amazing woman who thinks in a totally different way to I do, which is why IVF Babel works, because she thinks outside the box, and I think very much inside the box. And like myself, she's been on a, on a fertility journey, but hers was a lot longer than mine, and a lot more complex. And working with her is just, well, it's, it's the perfect partnership, because yeah, we both have something to give. That's my intro to Tracy. Oh, and it's very, and it's, I must also say that Tracy was very successful in the end with her fertility treatment and is now the mummy of twins. That's a good intro, Tracy. Can you talk no, that? No, absolutely <laughs> not. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> <Ditto>. <laughs> um, Sarah is an incredible human being, incredibly caring, kind, all those wonderful things. And she went on quite a fertility journey, as did I. But we come at it from two different angles. And I, um, we certainly meet in the middle and complement each other on the way that we think. And she has an amazing view of the patient perspective, but also incredible links with celebrities who are constantly wanting to share their stories with us or with, with Sarah. <laughs> but yeah just love it a bit oh thanks <laughs> pleasure honey you two embarked on quite the venture together because ivf babble is not a blog it is a much more involved venture than that so before we sort of dig in the difference between what an online magazine is and the media vision for ivf babble talk a little bit about how you two came together and how this idea formed. Okay, so I was going through my fertility journey, which spanned across 10 years. And I was given, effectively misdiagnosed and sometimes pushed to one side because of my age. And it took to meet the right consultant who did the right tests, who found out that I had four things wrong with me that then gave me my amazing miracles, my twins. And 
throughout that journey, there were other friends going through IVF and people that I work with who weren't discussing things with me. I didn't even know, apart from one of them, that they were going through the same journey. No one was talking to each other, sitting in waiting rooms. Everyone just looked completely, you know, in isolation. And yet we were all going through the same thing. And just kind of looking online, I remember trying to find magazines or something that represented or reflected a magazine that I would read sort of weekly, weekly or monthly. There was nothing there, just kind of blue and white scientific websites that were quite scary, basically. And so when girls were three months, Sarah and I met up and both of us were about to basically set up the same kind of thing. So we said, let's join together. And that's how it started. So over to you, Sarah. So basically, within my four year journey, I would I'd go and speak to my consultants and they would talk to me about my treatment except I'd go in there and not really listen to anything. I'd hear them talking, but not take anything in to the point where I developed severe OHSS. And I mean, pretty horrific because I ignored all the things that the doctors had told me because I hadn't listened um, and ended up in hospital for two weeks, uh, just, you know, fluid filling my, the lining of my stomach and my lungs. It was horrific. And I remember searching online just for some guidance as to what was happening to me because I just wanted to hear from other people if they'd been through it. And I couldn't find anything other than some dodgy old forum from God knows where um, with a few women telling me to drink Gatorade. And it was at that point I thought, I want to do something. I want to create something that is going to help um, women that may end up in this situation. And, And it was a not far you know not much later then that Tracy called me and said she wanted to do something and so we began one of the things that doctors sometimes complain about or practice personnel complain about is that patients come in with so much information even if the information is correct it's not necessarily customized to their diagnoses or their prognoses and they come in and they have all of this information on the internet. And I want to unpack that with you both a little bit and talk about patient media habits and how this is transforming. But ultimately what we're talking about is that we are starting to have entire media networks that are just about infertility. And if people think back to 70 years ago, maybe they had BBC and a few channels in England. They had a couple of channels in Canada, a couple of channels in the United States. There was a handful of radio stations in any given market. So pretty broad interest, one or two newspapers per city. And then you, you have cable and you start to have this fragmenting of interest like sports and drama and news. And now we're at an age where it can come down so finite to just specifically about the fertility journey. And there's entire media networks that are forming. Yours is one of them. Talk about the difference between a blog and an online magazine, because I think most people listening would have no idea that an Mm. online magazine is something different from a blog. Well, a blog tends to be somebody's personal personal stories, you know, one person's story and their, their opinions and their experiences. The difference with IBF Babble is that it is a magazine and it's a magazine with articles that are published every Thursday for, and, and you're getting the best of both worlds because you're receiving articles written by doctors and experts, you know, consultants, embryologists, you know, everybody within the medical field. So you've got that 
proper trusted guidance from the experts. But then we're also incorporating stories from people that are going through the treatment. So you've got that real balance. And what you're not getting is you're not getting patient to patient guidance, which is, you know, the so, so, <laughs> so wrong. So that's that's the difference between, a, you know, a magazine and a blog. It's it's unbiased. It's for everyone. And it's not just somebody's, you know, some one person's opinion. So it's being curated. Somebody is finding these experts, scheduling, giving them a topic, editing the content that they come up with. Talk yeah. about that process. Yeah. So, so we we have an editor called Claire who's absolutely wonderful. So she will she will basically because uh, the, the way we work is that we have our magazine, but then we have a massive social media presence, especially on Instagram. So we have lots of conversations with our followers, and we find out what questions they have you know what queries they have then you know we'll sit down with Claire and we'll we'll look at the you know frequently asked questions and then we'll go to our experts and to ask them to answer those questions so and those doctors and experts not only are they answering the questions we are asking them on behalf of our readers they're also coming to us and saying you know, you should, this would be a great article to publish this week because this is new in the fertility world. So it it might be, you know, something that, uh, um, you know, patients haven't even heard of. So they're get, it's, it's new, it's current as well, which is, which is fantastic. So that's, that's how the planning goes. And that's how the, the, the balance of the website and the social media works so perfectly hand in hand. Now that we've had the podcast going for a few weeks, people are starting to email me and saying, can I be on the show? I want to talk about this. They're coming to us with topics now. Have you seen the same phenomenon? Is that increasing or the same of people reaching out to you to be on the show? Or on the magazine, excuse me? Every day. <laughs> every every day. <laughs> I mean, in the last two years, it has gone up exponentially, and especially in the last year. So I don't know whether it's the 40-year aspect or, or what, but there was certainly in the UK an awful lot of media interest last year. And every single week there was something else being discussed, whether it's on television, radio or newspaper. And we've just noticed that we're now... Yeah, sort of people from around the world contacting us every day saying, can, can we get involved? Can we talk about this? Can we? It, it's quite extraordinary. So definitely but the industry it, has changed. Because also they know that we can we, we have this direct connection with patients. So, for example, we had um, a lovely we had a lovely chat with this consultant recently who wanted to know, he said, how should I be? You know, how do you think patients like to have the news delivered to them in terms of how successful it's, you know, it's likely to be that they will have, a, you know, a, you know, um, a pregnancy? He said, do people want percentages? Do you, you know? And so we went we then went onto our Instagram and did a post and asked the question. And then he had this massive conversation to read through. So people are seeing that we can we can answer their questions from the people they want the, the answers from very, very quickly. I mean, our Instagram now has gone up to 13,000, I think. Uh, it's 13.2. So, 13.2 thousand. 
followers. So it's a huge audience and, and people know that they can, you know, it's a window to them, basically. I mean, in essence, you know, Instagram, I mean, has grown literally sort of 3,000 in the last sort of week or three days. But actually, on top of that, we have a readership of 125,000 per month. And so we we are inundated with with queries and people wanting to access experts and who do we suggest and yeah it's grown a lot so let's give somebody a crash course and how they might be able to break through that massive noise you're getting in solicitations of being featured in the magazine or having a story covered and because you're getting hundreds of inquiries and I would encourage people, when people are thinking about publicity opportunities, the obvious option might be something like the Huffington Post, but something like IVF Babel is one so unique because it's it's a magazine that's been developed to this level, which is most, most outlets in the fertility community have not been developed to this level yet, but it's so targeted to the patient population. So let's give Jane Fertility Doctor somewhere in the US or the UK or Canada, a crash course in their best chance of breaking through the clutter and getting featured in IVF Babel? What would they have to do? We have an editorial board. And so a- anyone that we bring on as, in essence, a sort of an advertising partner would need to be overseen by that editorial board to ensure that, because the one, one thing that we don't want is having someone on board that we didn't realize had you know some situation in the background that doesn't do our our trustworthy sort of aspect any good so we would obviously have to put them by the board and so don't come with an agenda we would put number one if you've got you know if you're peddling a service it sounds like get that idea out of your head yes because the editorial board will sniff you out (laughs) (laughs) okay what's next And and th- are, you, are you talking about how how they come on board and what we do with them, or if so, if someone wanted to write an article, a fertility specialist, UK, US, or Canada, who did have something really interesting that wasn't that wasn't you know tied to a commercial interest, what would be their best chances of passing through either the editorial board or just getting a shot to have an article in the magazine? Well. It, it, it's, you know, absolutely. We are in touch with consultants, clinics all the time, and we are publishing articles or breakthrough news constantly. We- right, but you can't, you can't feature all of them. So if somebody really wanted to be featured, what, what, what do you like the most? I guess, what are you, what are you drawn to that, that you're more likely to pick? Either types of stories or, or studies or, or what, core components do do they need to have like they need to have a certain amount of research or new topics that you're interested in well basically i mean we we are a business and so we have partnerships with clinics paying clinics who will provide content for us you know because obviously it it costs money to run a, a big website like this so we we prioritize our partners and our experts that like we said our our board of advisors have all approved so we go to them first. Somebody should, if there should be another consultant that isn't a partner that has an, 
fascinating article going to properly then we would make an exception for that without doubt because um, our reader is the most important person and what we what we say to everybody when they provide content is it, it has to be where where a magazine and, and our magazine we we based it on sort of the style of Marie Claire um, well Marie, Marie Claire and Grazia so the style has to be very, very straightforward, as far from the sort of um, medical websites as possible. So just very coherent, very, very straight talking. That recipe. does make sense. And that also explains a does bit that make of sense? the relationships that you have with clinics, which I think explains seeing you at ASRM and MRS. How did that come about? When did you start yeah. approaching clinics and what was that like? Well... I mean, it, at first, I, in fact, I can't, I'm trying to think back to the, our first sort of uh, conversation. It was very, very strange at ASRM because we were invited M MRSI. to ASRM. What was, the what was the first one we went to? M yes, that's... Yeah. <laughs> it was very strange when we went to MRSI first because we were invited to go along and do a workshop. It was, we were so new. And so to be sat in front of all these clinics, everyone sort of looked at us like, what you know who, who on earth are you <laughs> and and because no one had sort of come across I don't think anyone had sort of come across anyone like us before so it was quite it was quite an odd feeling no I totally agree sort of selling ourselves wouldn't you say T? obviously that first year no one knew about us and and you know it was interesting sort of after as people left the room when they came into the room they just didn't know what they were coming into and when they left the room you know, that's that's when we started building a little bit on those relationships, which which has come to fruition. But then the year later, yeah. we go back and then suddenly we were yeah. approached by consultants and various others saying, oh, we wanted to come and say hi to you because our patients are telling us about you. And in fact, a couple of people find it quite embarrassing, but mm. basically said we were the fertility version of people.com which, you know, is, is, is amazing. Mm. But yeah, so now we have clinics contacting us. And it's so nice when that, when that partnership is, is really, like the clinics we're partners with, we, have, we always say to them, you know, let's talk, let's talk frequently, let's, let's like throw ideas back and forth, you know. So it's not, we don't want static partnerships. It should be like Tracy does, thinking outside the box all the time and coming up with ideas together. You know, what a novel and, um, idea! And it's that working, and the clinics are liking it. And you serve the community in such a way that people start uh, approaching you. That's a good lesson for marketing one hundred and one for those listening. Well, you know, it's like yesterday, right? So I I put a post out on Instagram the other day with a quote from an embryologist who had told me that it takes one hundred and eighty seconds or something like that from the moment an embryo is taken out of its little incubator and transferred into the woman. And so in a phone call yesterday with one of our clinics, with one of our partners, I said, how's about you, you video that for us? You know, because after I posted this comment, there were a few women going, oh my God, that's really frightening. Oh my gosh, that's, you know. And, and so I said to this clinic, film it, film it for us and show people the excellence of not only your lab, but the excellence of your embryologists and put, you're, you're putting trust and faith, you know, you're, you're, you're showing people how brilliant your team are and, and what the process is like. Because 
you don't know what it's like. And so they are loving that idea and they're going to go off and film that. And, 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 the, and, and their last video they sent us had like you know, three and a half thousand views within 48 hours, I think. So, so things like that are just, um, it's helping them. And so it's helping I'm the really curious. We're patient. Uh, you, Chicago was that, that first meeting that you came over to, to start meeting providers in the States. What do you notice are difference between fertility clinics in the UK and the United States? And what jumped out at you first? It's weird because my, my fertility experience is I, I had my IVF on the NHS, which is totally different to um, private. It's just sort of, you know, it's not the most glamorous of experiences and you're so that's, left it's, waiting it's probably for good months bit of background because I think a lot of people in the United States um, so, and Canada aren't entirely familiar with how the system works in the UK. So if you're going through NHS, is it always at a hospital or can it be through a private center funded by NHS? It, it can be both. It's uh, uh, it both T. Yeah. Yeah. But mine, mine went, I went for purely, you know, I, I was so lucky in my neighborhood. They uh, were offering in my borough, rather, they were offering three rounds of IVF for free. So, so my my sort of experience is is like I said, lots of waiting because when it's free, you just have to wait in in line. What would you? Uh, what's your what's well, your experience I mean, of your clinic to compared to the if states? If we're talking about having IVF, I I didn't go to the states, so I only have the UK as as an example. But yeah, it was quick, it was efficient, it was yeah, it was great. As far as how are you, Griff? Are you asking about how? us and uk receptive to something like ivf babble was that your question that's a good start yeah the first question is really just did you notice like any difference in it it, just the way that they communicate or think or operate and yeah probably in those categories thinking operating communicating because we're in the uk initially there was a lot more conversation with the uk because we weren't expecting to go global but certainly it was quite hard in the first few months of being out there. And then people started seeing how others working with us were getting the benefits. And then when we were at Fertility Show in London on a couple of occasions, we would have, like there was one particular time, it's five deep at our stand. And, and then other clinics started warming more on the basis that they saw that we were sort of providing a hub of their potential future patients and so now in the UK it's quite easy it's quite a smooth ride in talking to people and getting them involved in some way as far as the states it's it's a new entity I think that first year I think people that we were at MRSI I think people were a little hesitant, for sure. And I think it's only been in the last six to nine months that because our state's figures went up dramatically from about April, May last year and have continued growing. Because it, we have 42% UK Europe and 37% states now. I would call that an international following as far as the English-speaking world is concerned. <laughs> one of the reasons why is because i think that there's a perception that 
clinics in the United States must either operate, communicate, or think differently because uh, most treatment isn't covered in most states. There's five states where insurance is mandated. There's not any states where the government directly is paying for treatment as with NHS. But I'm on the IVF Babel site right now, and I click through to a clinic sponsor who I won't name, but I'm looking at their website and it looks, if I wasn't looking for S's instead of Z's, and some weird phone number at the top, I don't think that I would notice any difference between uh, UK's clinic's website and US clinic's website. The, even the name is very much a, a clinic that would be common in the United States or Canada. And so, and they're also advertising on your platform. So they, they are marketing, they, they have a website that is clearly designed to attract patients. It's not just a billboard for somebody that it's their one of their few options because they are coming through NHS. So talk a little bit about how this comes to be the, the paid side, the marketing of patients in a, in, in a country where at least treatment is partially covered or covered to a certain point. I think it's exactly the same because we, we have the same situation in uh, we've just been, I don't know if you were watching or have seen, but we, we literally just delivered a post, um, it's called the postcode lottery in the UK, where basically some NHS hospitals will offer, or it's CCGs, clinical commissioning groups, will offer three free IVFs, two, three, uh, two free IVFs via another one, and none via another, another part of, so equivalent of a state in the UK. And so we delivered a petition to number 10 Downing Street on Monday. We had 102,000 people uh, who signed our petition to take it to the Prime Minister with the unfairness of it all. There's a lot of people that don't have access to the ability to have IVF or have the funding. Or... So it's, it's very similar. It's very similar to the States. So at, at that point, do you, is, is there a trend towards moving towards broadening coverage? Or do you think that this is probably the economic reality for some time in the UK? Um, we're, we're trying to, obviously with the petition, we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to force the government to change, to, to change ba basically what it is. The c clinical commissioning groups are given guidelines via something called the National Institute of Care and Excellence. And their guidelines is that the NHS, each clinical commissioning group, should give three free IVFs to every person. They don't. And so there are people moving counties, the equivalent of states are moving to another state, say, to be able to access where there's free IVFs available. And it's so unfair and the inequality is, is not okay. And so hence, that's why we decided to create a petition and have been inundated with signatures and comments and. 102,000, 102,000 signatures we raised. Do you get support from providers in an initiative like this? Oh, uh, no, we've just done it on our own. We, we started the petition ourselves 
And then there's a charity called Fertility Network, who we work with sometimes in the UK. They're the UK's national charity for fertility. And so they joined with us on the petition. And basically, Saatchi and Saatchi Wellness approached us and said they wanted to create, it's called Screen for IVF campaign. So they were doing that alongside. But we, you know, we basically have just pushed it through social media and through IVF Babble for people to sign. A better question is, do you, do you sometimes get resistance or a lack of wanting to be involved from providers because maybe some people like having out-of-pocket compensation as opposed to whatever rate would be they'd be beholden to through NHS? The interesting thing is we haven't actually had any negative comments the whole way through the petition. If there's anyone saying it behind our backs, may, maybe, but we ha actually, certainly anyone we've come across on on email, social media, etc., we haven't had any negativity at all. I'm happy to hear that. So when I see what you're doing from the, not just the, the being involved in raising the drive to expand coverage from NHS, but all the way down to just the initial impetus of the magazine and providing the community, providing the information in this way. I always see a void being filled. You all are filling a void that that, that someone or another di didn't occupy that needed to be occupied. What do you see as the biggest disconnect between what expectations patients have, maybe even the information that they're looking from from you that they're not getting from providers and summed up even more concisely, what's just the biggest disconnect that you see between providers and, and patients on both sides of the Atlantic? I think it's mm. um, trust, trust and clarity. clarity. Absolutely. I, I think as soon as we publish or put something across social media, the works against what the patients want, obviously that would make us fail. But because Sarah and I have come from a patient perspective, from two different sides, NHS and private, at different ages, we have a, a kind of a broader view and understanding of what people are wanting. And I also think the, that that's why IVF Babble probably has, has done so well so far in so much that what they ask us for, we give them back. So as a, for instance, there were quite a lot of readers that were saying, Oh, you know, I never know which clinic to go to. Oh, you know, how do you find this information? Everything's everywhere. Da, 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 da. I just don't understand this. So we decided, number one, to create a global directory, which is now my, it's called myfertilitybuddy.com. But within that fertility buddy is what it is. We are creating a social networking platform. So there are two aspects. One that people were saying, okay, you know, we need to have some guide or which clinics go to, to read more about them all in one place. It's all over the place and we, we want something centralised. And the second thing, which actually is, equiv is, is as important, is a buddy network because there are lots of people going through IVF or trying to conceive naturally, not working and of different cultures around the world and of which some don't talk to each other at all and 
can't speak to their families and so and won't accept counselling per se so we decided to create something called BuddyNet which links all of those people ac across the world that are going through fertility issues and so it could be my name's Natalie I'm 32 I am just about to embark on IVF and I'd like to speak to some or I'd like to get in contact with someone who has been through two IVFs and has been successful, who's 33, that kind of a thing. Everything we do, at the heart of everything we do is what do we wish we'd had? And this is something we wish we'd had. So when my IVF failed for the first time, the only thing I wanted was to find someone who had also just failed so that I could sit and cry and have tea and talk about how we both feel because nobody else understood like talking to my doctors didn't help. Talking to my friends didn't help. I just wanted someone who knew how I was feeling. And that's what this will allow you to do. I have found that people are skeptical that that's true. So when I first entered the field, I, I, I really didn't know much. I'd been working with a few clinics and I decided to reach out to uh, peer support group leaders across America. And I said, listen, I'm a marketer. I don't know anything about your problem. I'm just, I'm, I'm building a business and people were so accepting in talking to me and, and some talked to me for hours over a long period of time. And I sort of like, I compiled the three most common things that people were saying. I was looking for patterns. And the most common thing that people told me was that, that, that they were unhappy about in terms of communicating and receiving information from their clinic was that they didn't get any connection to support. And I was just, and I was dubious. I said, there's no way uh, coming in as an outsider that it wouldn't be one of the first things that clinic would offer new patients is here's the local support groups in our area. Here's some blogs. Here are, here's the directory of mental health professionals that specialize in this field. And then I started asking providers and they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't really do that. And as I probed in wise, they almost, they came back to some version of, you know, people just, they don't want to talk about it with anybody else. And. Oh my God, that's such, it's, that it, is, it's oh so my wrong. God, that's it's rubbish. It's so wrong. The thing is, people don't want to, people don't want to talk to people that don't get it. That's true. People want to talk, people want to talk to people who understand how they're feeling. So what, some, what I didn't want was someone to say to me, you know, you know, don't worry, cry it out, be fine, start fresh next time, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God, I, I'm like, I don't want all that. I don't need that. I need someone to empathize. I, I need someone who understands what I'm feeling, you know, I, I, I can't, yeah, that's shocking there's, to there's me. The thing is, I'm, you know, clinics, consultants are incredible human beings in helping people have families and giving them hope. That's amazing. And yes, it is all about science in that aspect. But as a human being, we're about emotion. And, and so you can't just allow someone that has that makeup to then just go into a scientific issue at a moment and, and not have some form of hand-holding or cuddles or, you know, warmth. It's it goes hand in hand and support because it's grief. It's grief. You're, you're like when you fail, you are grieving. Well, and then there's a there's a level of, well, OK, maybe if, if they come to, to 
groups privately or are connected privately. And for most people, I still think that that's true. However, I also think that many people are underestimating how many people are willing to have these conversations publicly. And to me, that's evidenced by how big your Instagram following is growing. Even some, some of those are anonymous names. Some are people's real names and the Facebook conversations. And you have a pin now, which is the, the pineapple pin, which is deliberately designed, I guess, to, to start conversations and break the silence. Talk a little bit about that. Mm. Uh, I, I was going to say, again, I keep coming back to when my IVF failed for the first time. But I was sat on the the tube on the underground in London and it was a it was a packed train and my IVF had failed and I looked at all these people on the train and I thought, does anyone on this train have any idea how I'm feeling? Uh, because I felt like the only person in the world because I didn't know anyone. I, I didn't know anyone who was going through IVF. And I thought, if only there was a way of seeing how many lives had been touched by infertility whether that be because you've been through IVF yourself or you've supported you know your daughter or your work colleague whatever if if everyone on that train whose lives have been touched by infertility were wearing a pin most of that train or half of that train at least would be wearing a pin and it would have offered me so much comfort so we chose the pineapples because if you look across the social media you know the IVF, the, the fertility social media platforms, you'll see pineapples everywhere because they are the symbol of love, good vibes, good energy within the fertility world. So it's so very subtle. You know, it's not a big, I've had IVF badge. It's a, I know how you're feeling badge. And it's, um, yeah, people love it. People love it because it represents it represents the energy that the good vibes that the TTC community give each other. You've both done so much and want to thank you for coming on the program. And I'll let you conclude with just talking a bit about where you see IVF Babble going or where you want it to go. Did you just want to keep building this infinitely forever? Is there an exit? I bet there's a, a you know some IVF financing company or a pharmacy that would love to acquire an audience that captive at some point you know whether it's exit or whether it's just building to a point where do you want this thing to go in the next several years uh, who, who knows what's going to happen in the future we you know that th you know there there have been approaches but we quite right now sarah and i are so passionate about ivf babble and the things that we can achieve and breaking the silence and in part obviously creating World Fertility Day. We want to make a lot more of that going forwards. And, you know, we just, as long as we, we've got the ideas and we're able to help people and make a difference, we are happy to keep on going. And, um, and we're loving what we're doing. We're passionate about it. And yeah, well, I, what's your thoughts, Sarah? Well, we, we've, we've discussed it before. It would be, you know, it would be amazing to have, you know, some incredible financial backing to make IVF Babble even bigger. But I, well, I, I, I can speak for both of us. It's our, it's our baby. And we feel that all of our read, we have such a, a duty of care to our readers that we're not prepared to let it go. <laughs> we're not prepared to hand it over to anyone. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, 
we're here to look after people. And also a couple of other things that initiatives that we're doing, I'm not sure if you're aware of, is we set up a charity which was launched in November last year. And that was off the back of, in the 40th year of IVF, we uh, gave away 15 free IVFs. We started approaching clinics and asking if they would like to do that to celebrate 40 years. And we have, we've now in the middle of another one, giving away another nine at the end of this month. And we've already been approached by clinics to give away more in another competition. Well, not competition, it's just a giveaway, which will be from March onwards. And we felt there was such an outpouring um, and and the emails that we're being sent, literally sort of in tears with some of them saying that was my only chance. And I, I didn't, I wasn't one of the lucky ones. And so we decided, okay, why don't we set up a charity which is called Babel Giving, which basically will be doing exactly all of that and giving grants. So there's that. And we're also launching Fertility Babel. And Fertility Babel is all about fertility awareness for the young. And so we're making it much more sort of, this isn't the right wording, but hip and trendy for that for that age group. You're, you're going to hate me for saying that, sorry. But um. But basically, we've already been invited into Cambridge University to talk about Fertility Babble and IVF Babble and various others now contacting us about it. And it's we, we want to soften the whole situation. So it's there's a section of it called the F word. So it will be about food, fitness, fashion and fertility. And so it's more it, it's more easily readable magazine and will attract people hopefully to to read and learn about how they can protect their future fertility you all have done so much and it's all from building a community using digital media it has been fantastic to watch you come into the field to build this from the ground up i hope you keep coming back to our meetings on our side of the pond i promise that one day i will visit you in the uk you have to. You have to. <laughs> Pineapple Bash has to be in my future at some point. hundred Tracy Bambro, Sarah Marshall Page, thank you both so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Well, thank you so Pleasure. much for inviting us. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com And tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast. And we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.